0: Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE. Hello and welcome to the Big Travel Podcast. I'm Lisa Francesca Nand, broadcasting here from sunny Spain. Actually, it's been raining, so uh, it's sunnier in England at the moment. Don't you hate it when that happens? Sunshine today, though, so we're going to head out and do some exploring. On to today's episode sitting in a piazza in the sunshine coffee at hand writing your latest novel is a dream for many of us and a dream our guests this episode has made a reality with best-selling books based on greek islands in prague italy's lake como Andalusia, sri lanka canada new zealand and more, as well as a career in popular magazines. As well as an exotic location, expect heart-melting romance and maybe even a few tears. Author Isabel Broom always takes readers on a beautiful emotional journey, as well as a geographical one, and she's here now to tell us all about her
1: travels. I've written five novels, all of which are escapist romantic fiction, so they're all set in different locations around the world starting with Greece, and then Prague, and then Spain, Lake Como in Italy, and the newest one, 1,000 Stars New, is set in Sri Lanka. Has this been a wonderful excuse for you to go off, have a traveller's, writer's <laughs> life, and
0: go off and sit in Greece, Sri Lanka, Spain, and
1: absorb the vibe, culture, and and then write a book? That's definitely part of it, yeah. The reason I chose Greece for my first book was because I used to live in Sikinthos. I went there every year on holiday, and then once I finished university, I went into the season working in a bar and having a, a right old time. It's always felt like a second home to me, and when I started to throw around the idea for a novel, I always ended up back in Greece. Because of just the way I felt there, I felt like it was coming home every time I went there and I wanted to explore that concept in the novel through a character that's a lot more lost than I was. But I still go back there every year and I still always feel very much at peace there. The fact that I became an escapist author was a sort of by accident because the idea for the first was Pegmed liked it. And they were like, where's the next one going to be set? And I hadn't even occurred to me, I just thought, I'd, you know, write one set in the UK. But then I was like, oh, no, actually, that's a great idea. (laughs) So I picked Prague next because I knew it quite well. I'd been there quite a few times and it was a nice winter setting for a, a winter novel. And then I continued to pick places that I knew well until I ran out of those. And then I just have my wish list now on the wall and... I either pick places and tailor the story to fit the place or the other way around. I've
0: never heard of the term
1: escapist author or <laughs> escapist novels. Is this an actual term? I think so.
0: Well, this is what I want to be. <laughs> That's what I'm going to do. No, I'm going to scrap great. that. As like, no, I'm a future escapist author. So is that actually a,
1: a, a genre? Yes. A lot of books have an escapist element, but I think because mine have that in common every single novel has that in common as well as a romantic element there's always an escapist element I would call myself an escapist fiction author rather than a chiclet author we don't say that.
0: Do, if <laughs> feels about very sort of 10 years ago or something do we still use chiclet?
1: I think people do I think some readers still you know say oh, I like chiclet and that's if that's how they want to refer to it then that's fine but I think you know women that are writing relationship dramas i'd prefer to call them you know it's makes it sound a little bit sleazier or not as i don't know not as accomplished in some way i don't i think it's got a i don't think it had it at first but do you think it has grown to have a derogatory angle yeah i think it might have done which is a shame because there's a massive place in the market for light-hearted fun romance holiday reads as well i think the the thing about travel and reading is that
0: it goes hand in hand and many of us only have time Mm. Or make time for reading books and novels when we travel.
1: Yes. Oh, God, I love going on holiday and reading. The, this year, I've discovered audiobook reading while on holiday because you don't have to worry about holding the book and getting awkward tan lines. Although I do use my book as a face shade right after on the <laughs> beach. But um, if you want to just lie there and completely relax and have like no wires or anything, just tuck your little headphones in and you can be read too while you're watching the sea. and It's nice. So, tell me about your time in Greece, first of all. Where to start? Where to start with Greece? I went there for the first time when I was 20, so 18 years ago now, with my sister on holiday and just fell in love with the way of life there, the people. I think Greeks are so, they're very like the British people actually, in the way that they're very self deprecating, they're sarcastic, they're always ready to laugh, they're very loyal. Once you're friends with a Greek, you're friends with them for life and they'll do anything for you, you know, they are very generous kind-hearted people but they're also a lot of fun so I think that's why I was just kind of slotted in really well and I love the sun I love the food and I love taking my friends there to sort of introduce them to the island and show it off to them. So when you were 20 were you having a wild sort of Greek summer? Definitely yes I worked there for six months when I was 23 which was after I' finished university and that was a pretty crazy summer yeah my best friend and I went together and we worked in a bar on the main sort of strip in the main resort area, Lagana. We drank every day. We were, you know, drinking vodka. We were starting work at eight, finishing at six in the morning, going out afterwards, sleeping half the day, going to the beach, doing it all again. We weren't in the best of health by the time the summer ended, I think. Yeah, we had, I don't think we'd seen a vegetable for six months and we were all really really fat and, but it was fun <laughs> i was gonna say
0: you'd be really thin and brown because no. <laughs> i always was i'd go out to spain and do the same thing every yeah. summer when i was at university and we'd dance on bars we'd get paid for it. we'd call it pr yeah you know, but actually it's just giving tickets out probably to strange men i remember my nan saying to me one day well don't speak to any strange men i was like Nan, it's my job to yeah. speak to strange men. That's exactly. what I'm paid to do in a very non-sleazy way. But you had to give tickets to men and women. It was like a oh, free shot with your first yeah. drink and then dance on the bar and do all the, I'm the really lively girl here, having a great time, That's stuff That's exactly afterwards. what it was like, yeah. But I was really thin by the end of it because we ate just
1: salads all day and just danced all night, fueled by vodka. Oh, I <laughs> lived on pizza and jacket potatoes and toasted sandwiches, I think, pretty much, and all the booze as well, which will add the pounds.
0: So you got a job
1: in, you've been working for a long time in women's magazines, specifically in Heat magazine. Yes. i have just about to come to the end of my very, very long journey with heat but I think heat's one of those magazines it's like a family there and once heat is in you you're you know you kind of it stays with you heat's in the blood and I'm actually going back to freelance there for a month at Christmas so I'm not cutting all my ties <laughs>
0: you must have been there at the big heyday of those gossip style magazines which we all were obsessed with at one point and social media seems to sort of have nudged those out uh, of, of
1: their Peak popularity a little bit, but what were those days like? What were you doing? It was crazy. I sort of started in two thousand and five, which was the sort of the peak of Big Brother at its at its big success when Jade Goody was a huge star, and we had Pete and Nicky on the front cover of Heat, selling over seven hundred thousand copies a week, which is just extraordinary now if you compare it to the sales nowadays. But there was such an appetite for it, and there was money, there was advertising money. We were doing loads of creative shoots, really really fun things. Celebrities wanted to work with Heat. Heat was the kind of the market leader and very well respected and funny. And I think people really believed in Heat and believed what they read in it. So it was, it was certainly an exciting time. I got to do lots of completely crazy things and brilliant things when I was there.
0: Tell me about some of those crazy things. I bet you had some wild nights out.
1: Not so much wild nights out. We, we did sort of go to celebrity parties and it would be your job to kind of work your way around and try and get stories about this, that, the other and try and get yourself in with these celebs. But I didn't really enjoy that side of it. I found it because I'm not very... I'm not a bolshey person by nature and I don't like confrontation. I wouldn't want to upset someone on a night out. So I prefer to kind of do it in a more official way. So what crazy times were you talking about then? It was so busy. There was a... A huge team at that time it's probably there's probably about a quarter of the amount of people now working at heat than used to be we used to have crazy christmas parties with karaoke people wearing nipple tassels you name it big quizzes we used to go to and in fact i've I think Heat still do go to the NTAs every year national television awards we have an area at the party where we do a big photo shoot and celebrities all come over and in the past Heat's been at the BAFTAs as well things like that are just so much fun you know it's like celebrity after celebrity coming in to say hello and have their picture taken and things which is fun who did you meet I met and interviewed McFly many many times um, (laughs) to the point where it's just a running joke now if I ever see them they're like oh she is our stalker. <laughs> I was surprised you didn't marry one of them. <laughs> oh, no, they were all taken by the time I met them. Oh. Damn it. <laughs> no, they're really nice boys. I met Danny Dyer. I love Danny Dyer. I used to interview him quite often. He's lovely. Such a charming person, actually, and really understands women and how to speak to women. He can make Everybody oh, in the room. darling. Yeah, yeah. And immediately you're kind of like, he gets you on side very quickly. Did you
0: see his Who Do You Think You Are?
1: It was yeah, the best It was amazing. One ever. Yeah. In the end, I was just jumping
0: and <laughs> shouting and crying and just <laughs> laughing my head off when it turns out he was related to Henry VIII, was it? I think he was royalty. Yeah, that's was, right. Yeah, he long did have line royal things. blood.
1: Yeah. That doesn't surprise me at all. He has got a commanding presence he when does. he walks into a room, so... Yeah, that doesn't surprise me. You
0: often find that with people who become celebrities. And I don't know, it's a chicken and egg thing. I don't know what's come first. Their commanding presence has made them become who they are. Or because you know who
1: they are, they have a commanding presence. I think it really depends on the celebrity because there are some awful celebrities out there. Some really rude, nasty, wouldn't really want to spend any time with them. And they tend to be lower down the scale, so the reality TV stars who get a bit too big for their boots.
0: Thinking like Big Brother's Nikki, who you just mentioned. Oh, Yeah, no, Nikki's <laughs> lovely. Actually, really is I she? mean, she's
1: exactly how you imagine. She wasn't putting on any sort of act. That is just who she totally is. Totally off her rocker, as far as I can tell. Yeah. <laughs> Do you want to name names about who wasn't, who were the not nice ones? I'll tell you who I really didn't like: Gemma Collins from Towie. She came into the heat office and was quite rude and very sort of throwing her around. And she was quite rude to a lot of the staff on a shoot once as well. I won't go into detail, but. You
0: just don't do that, do you? No. Even if you're not a nice person, pretend to be a nice person and be polite, because these people are going to write about you. Exactly.
1: Politeness goes such a long way. And if you compare that to somebody like Vicky Patterson who, from Geordie Shore, who's just the sweetest, loveliest, most polite girl, just she's up there with some of the nicest people I've ever met and it does make a massive difference. It's the reason why her career is going a lot better than, say, Gemma's. It's a lesson. So your second novel was based in Prague. Tell me about that. A Year and a Day. It's a story. <laughs> At the time, I thought I was going to do myself a favour by telling three women's stories because I thought, well, oh, that would be easier because it would just be like writing really three really short, short novels. It was really, really difficult. (laughs) I really made a rod for my own back there. My editor was like, Are you sure you want to do three characters? It's like, yeah, it'll be fun. Prague is a great location because it's it's very magical and the older part of the city especially just hasn't changed for centuries and it's there's a real feeling in Prague that there's sort of magic whispering around on the air there. And it's beautiful, especially in the winter I think. I've been at all times of year and I think Snow on the ground is my favourite time of year. And the Charles Bridge in Prague obviously has this gold cross where you can go and make a wish. And that was the sort of seed that sowed the whole story for me. I wanted there to be reasons why these three women would, would love the idea of having a wish. They all had things that were going wrong in their lives. So off they go for this long weekend and they all meet in the same hotel and their lives entangle in unexpected ways that sounds fabulous <laughs> do you go
0: so you obviously go to, re- to prague and research it but tell me about the writer's process are you sitting there in this hotel room tapping away at your laptop going to coffee shops soaking up the local culture the environment meeting the local
1: people a bit of everything yeah prague i went to alone as i'd been before and i was quite familiar i just took myself off the week after christmas when it was freezing cold and just i would walk around the city sort of eight nine maybe 10 hours stopping off for hot wine every time my feet got too cold and just writing reams and reams and reams of notes. And then I'd spend about two, three hours in the evening in my hotel room writing. And then I'd head out again in the evening and talk to strangers because I was by myself. (laughs) Prague's a very warm, friendly city, especially at that time of year with all the Christmas markets and everything up. I just loved it. I went for the first time when I was backpacking when I was only 19, before all the stag and hen parties found it. And it became the sort of central hub of that area for people to go because it was so cheap and I loved it then and I still love it now it's, it's different now but it's, you can still find the little tucked away areas and corners So one of the things you
0: really like doing as you uh, referred to there is meeting the locals and yeah, you must meet some real
1: characters along your journey I do in fact the most recent book One Thousand Stars and You has got quite a few Sri Lankan characters in it that are based on people that I met just because they're so extraordinary and, <laughs> and actually really really funny so I was like there's no way that this person cannot be put in Describe some... one of these characters to me. In Sri Lanka, when you're traveling around, as me and my friend did, sort of backpacking, you stay in homestays quite often rather than hostels, which is you're basically staying in somebody's house and they host as you're their guest, So they cook for you and, and all the rest of it. And we stayed with a man in Ella called Captain Siri. He was just very comedy. He was a tiny man, He had this immaculate little house. He called us his daughters, cooked us this amazing feast. And he was, he was just really, really sweet and really, really charming. And the day after we left, he sort of waved us off. And then we were, we were going through all our finances and things. And we realized that he'd massively ripped us off. It was so funny. I kind of couldn't, you know, it was only about 20, 30 pounds, but it was just because he was so lovely. He said, like, You leave me a good review. And we were just totally fell for it. It was very funny. Did you put that on the review? No. <laughs> I actually just, I thought, i just won't review.
0: That's probably his, uh, his way that he, he gets
1: by, isn't it? That he, yeah. he, he
0: does it. And just because he's so nice that nobody has the heart afterwards to
1: go, Actually, he completely ripped us off. Yeah, he just talked very fast at us to hoodwink us. It worked very well. I mean, I was quite impressed do anything that's quite often the way in Sri Lanka you know it's it's a very sort of light-hearted they're always kind of bartering with you and tucked up drivers and bus drivers and because it's such such a big you know it's a small amount of money but it's a big deal so an extra few pounds here and there really goes a long way for them so you know my friend had been all the way through Asia and was quite like no we must be strict and we must haggle and I'm thinking doesn't really matter it's three pounds you know for her as the principal
0: it's a hard one isn't it because we take our western values places and then we try and adjust to the local values and there's a bit of a a struggle between the two i mean three pound isn't a lot to us but it's loads to them so why would we haggle over three pound when it really really doesn't mean that much to to us But then you think, well, I don't want to ruin the local economy. I don't want, you know, there's all these warnings about then they'll want it from everyone or then they won't be able to sustain themselves, which is rubbish because they're sustaining their lives are sustained from tourism. Any already, you know, that's already happening. You're not going to make a difference by that. It gets so confusing to sort of know what to do. Do you give to street children? Do you you take stuff? For them, pens, papers, do you give to the charities that, you know, it's very confusing. I would just advise
1: looking it up either while you're there or before you go.
0: One of your novels was also based in
1: Spain. Yes, in a place called Mojaca, which is on the mainland, it's on the southeast coast sort of just down from Almeria, Malaga, that sort of area, the Costa del Sol, Andalusia.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Having been brought up on the Costa del Sol, uh, I am very familiar with it. I go every six weeks. I would like oh, to wow. read that one. I haven't read that one. Tell me a little bit about the book. Have you been to Mahaka? I haven't been to Mahaka. I think I have been when I was a child, but yeah. not that I can remember.
1: It's on the other, other side of Nerja, isn't it? Towards yes. the coast. Yeah, I know exactly where it is. Yeah, it's beautiful. It's, it's just this tiny town or village that's up in the mountain and it's all white little buildings. It's all them sort of. Moorish architecture but it actually it looks like it's been there for centuries but most of it was actually built in the 50s and 60s following an earthquake in the area and the mayor at the time said that he would give land to people for free if they came and built it exactly as it used to look to to keep it looking beautiful and pristine and it still it still is and I went when I was 15 with my friend from school and her parents um, because they knew somebody that had an apartment there and hadn't been back for years and years and years and when I was thinking of areas to go to 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 base a book i knew that i wanted to write a book about a documentary being made about a place so i wanted to do somewhere a little bit off the beaten track that had a bit of a story and mahaka felt like the, the right place to do that and i couldn't believe when i went back because I hadn't been for 20 years. It was exactly the same. Like It was almost like nothing had changed. Like You turned the page of a story and it was still there. So I loved it. Almost still like it. The, the
0: total destruction in the earthquake mm. preserved it.
1: Yeah, exactly. exactly. It's, it's the
0: same in Ypres, if you've been in Ypres, where the war graves are in yeah. Belgium. And the town was completely destroyed in the First World War completely. It was the centre of the battle for years. Mm. And they rebuilt it exactly the same as it had been before, but with better plumbing but with slightly bigger dimensions in the room but with indoor bathrooms and things that they haven't had before so it looks like this beautiful medieval town and actually it's it's own it's less than a oh where are we now no it's just it's a hundred
1: years old I think it's nice I suppose the the actual mountain itself and the area and it, it still has in the same way that Prague has that sort of whisper of history all the time and it really feels like you're somewhere sort of mystical when you're in Mahaka especially up in the old town maybe not so much down at the beach where it's become a little bit more touristy and it's trying to be Marbella and it's got all those beach clubs and things but they've managed to preserve the town they haven't let anything encroach on there.
0: And I don't know about you, I quite like, I like that dual holiday that you get with a place like that. I like going to the beach, I like doing the touristy things, I like going out to a club and knowing you can go somewhere and listen to crap music and have a cocktail and dance, but also love the history and the culture and the architecture and the beautiful buildings and the backstreet tapas bars. Exactly. It is a
1: a very special place. So tell me about that book. It follows this girl called Hannah and Hannah is a bit of a doofus, putting it mildly. She's I'm about to turn 30, but she's quite quite an immature 30. She's quite naive. She's got a massive crush on her boss who's Greek and a little bit older than her. Um, She works as a sort of assistant producer for a company that makes these documentaries and he's the head honcho. But when she suggests that they choose Mohaka as a subject for the next documentary, he sort of rewards her by letting her tag along on the shoot. And so she's like, excellent, rubbing her hands together. I'm gonna seduce him. This is gonna be the time it's gonna happen. So off she goes with Theo and her best friend, Tom, who is a cameraman. And the presenter of the documentary is this French girl called Claudette, who is tiny, but larger than life and there's a lot of trouble. About a week into their trip, Hannah's half-sister Nancy rolls up uninvited and unwanted. They do not get on, and so begins this sort of spiral of disasters and comedy, and it's probably the most lighthearted of my books, I would have said, the sort of laughter, but there's also a darker story kind of running through. How um, much inspiration is taken from your, your own life? Hannah, similar to me, visited Mark as a teenager, and Got drunk and embarrassed herself in front of the locals, and then has to face them, fifteen years later when she goes back, which is exactly what I had to do. <laughs> do <laughs> they <lucky>? remember you? <laughs> no, which and they do her, but a lot of the things she's remembering um, and the stuff she got up to is is similar to the things I did. Yeah, certainly. Well, tell me what you got up to. My friend and I used to go into this bar, and we were madly in love with this guy called Jose, who worked there. He's a very good-looking Spanish man who didn't speak any English really, and he was friends with my my friend's auntie. So he sort of tolerated us sitting in there, even though we were only fifteen. He used to put drinks down, and he'd be like, "This no alcohol, nothing alcohol," and we'd be like, "Oh," and pouring in our stolen vodka into these bright blue drinks, and we had bright, bright blue tongues, and we'd sit there all night. Several hours later, we'd be stumbling around and kissing boys that we'd met, and. Yeah, I mean it wasn't the greatest behaviour, but it was a lot of fun. No, no one got hurt. It was it was fine. That's what you do when you're what 15. Yeah, yeah, 15 that's and 16. what you do. Yeah. You want to
0: go to some trashy bars. You know, it might have been quite a nice bar, but you yeah. want to have
1: a you know. At the time, it must have been about 25 or so. So God knows what he thought of us. But I suppose he, he kind of was looking out for us, I suppose. He let us sit there and I, I suppose if we were in sight, we weren't getting in as much trouble.
0: <laughs> Could have been, uh, luckily, no
1: holiday romance at that point. <laughs> no, no. I have had holiday romances, but um I wouldn't call it romance. <laughs> I think that would be too generous a word. <laughs> Tell
0: me about some of your holiday
1: non-romances, <laughs> if you dare. I've had a few in Zakynthos, obviously, because I, I live there and I go there every year and I I definitely have a thing for Greeks. I love Greek men because they're funny and they're very handsome and they're very Mm. uncomplicatedly masculine most of the time. And I quite like that, actually. And Greek men are old souls as well. Quite often, the younger guys are much more grown up than some of the boys I meet here that are my age. Shirley Valentine, I can see you. I am a bit Shirley Valentine. (laughs) I did have a a fling last year and I'm 38 now. So this is when I was 37 with a 24-year-old Greek Ah. man. Um, which was yeah he's a nice person we're still friends has that made it into the one of the books yet not yet no I'd have to go back and explore Greece again but certainly the way that Greeks are and the way they they behave does come through in the books yeah definitely now this
0: is quite a charmed life you're leading in my opinion anyway <laughs> that you're
1: you can choose what
0: destination you're going to next you've got a a contract for your next book I'm assuming
1: for um, a future contract well, I'm about to deliver book number six, which is set in New Zealand. I spent a month in New Zealand at the beginning of this year researching, which was probably one of the best things I've ever done in my life. And then I'm out of contract, so touch wood that they uh, offer me another one, yeah. Well, we're sitting here in the offices of Penguin yes. uh, on the Strand in London, and, you mm-hmm. know, there's quite a few important people over there. <laughs> Should we go and uh, have a little word? <laughs> Maybe. R- Richard Armitage was in reception when I got here. Really? Yeah, oh, the yes. I was like, oh, he's been in The Hobbit what's he doing here well, I, I guess know. you didn't ask him he's very tall there's nothing hobbity about him oh see if that was me not, he was a dwarf wasn't he not a hobbit
0: if I was sitting there I would be saying
1: hi Richard fancy coming on the big travel podcast you know when somebody you recognize somebody so i was standing at reception and he came in and I was waiting for him um, I was just being seen to and I kind of looked at him and he smiled and I smiled and I thought oh, I recognize him but then he when he said his name I was like oh but by that time, I was sitting down, so I couldn't be like, I watched you in Spooks, and you're really handsome. And he might be looking at you going, wow, that's his full <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I must maybe. go and talk to her. I can't do it. <laughs> yeah, maybe. So tell me about your months in New Zealand. That sounds incredible. Oh, my God, it was. New Zealand was always the very top of my bucket list for so many years, probably since I was a teenager. I just knew that I would love New Zealand. So when it came to sort of, I had a clean slate in terms of ideas of places to go and ideas for a book. And I thought, right, I'm going to choose a place and I'm going to write a story that goes with the place. So I pitched New Zealand and I travelled. I flew into the North Island, spent some time there and then spent most of my time in the South Island. And I just loved New Zealand. I'd just come to the end of sort of 10 years of living in London and I was stressed and I, was, I wasn't at my best in terms of health. And New Zealand is so quiet there's just no noise and I don't mean actual noises in traffic and people and shouting and screaming And it's just there's no there was no noise in my head either and it's I remember sitting by this lake one day Lake Wanaka in the South Island for about three hours just thinking and it was such a treat and I was like this is going to make this book so much better, and it just just giving myself that time and that space made so much difference to me. And I don't think I've done that for years. Actually, sit somewhere
0: mm. in a beautiful spot for three hours and not look at my phone, not yeah. read, not do something, just actually
1: think. Just it's quite powerful. It really was. I did a lot of walking up hills and sitting at the top of mountains and just looking at the view. And I met a guy called Ross actually when I was when I was in Queenstown. He was from Brighton, and we both went up this up Queenstown Hill together and just sat up there for about 45 minutes. And we, did, we weren't talking to each other, we were just there. I said to him, this is amazing, Like, there's no one up here. We haven't seen anyone for about three hours. And he, he was like, "Oh yeah, you know, I'm, I'm glad that we're both here together, that we're kind of experiencing it at the same time, because I don't think anyone would ever believe what it feels like to be up here. And I say, oh, yeah, I agree. In New Zealand, you don't really have to go far to get that feeling. You just have to walk for 10 minutes and you're <laughs> completely isolated and you could not see anyone for hours. It's
0: amazing. One of the things about solo travel is that you have you do have these very peaceful, wonderful experiences, but it is quite strange not having someone to share them with at times. Mm,
1: yeah, I think in New Zealand I was moving around so much. I didn't really feel lonely as such and I stayed in hostels mostly because I wanted to meet people and wanted to kind of see what other people's experiences were. The only real times that I felt lonely was when I was staying in hotels. I think there's something very lonely about a hotel room especially in a little single bed and I can stand them for about 20 minutes and then have to get out and walk around.
0: Where do you prefer to stay? What sort of location, venue? Accommodation is the word I'm looking for.
1: Um, If I'm alone then hostels. Hostels are fun and they're always right in the centre of town. They're cheap obviously. You meet really interesting people. I met some really amazing guys, two Australian brothers when I was staying in Queenstown that dragged me out on a bar crawl and I ended up doing the limbo and going to an ice bar and it was like three in the morning and I thought this is crazy like but that's proper living and that's actually experiencing you know what, there is to do in a location, and again, gives the book more depth, I think. Plus, I can use them as characters. They're <laughs> so very good looking boys. And I was like, yep, I'm going to take you and uh, put you in a book sometime. Do <laughs> so you warn people? <laughs> I think I probably did warn them. And one of them is called Griffin. And I said, that's an amazing name. Can I use it with my book? And he said, yeah. So, there is a Griffin in the new book. That's out next year.
0: I was When I, when you said Ross from Brighton, I thought, I actually might know him. I'm from Brighton. I spent a lot oh. of time there. I might know him. Did you keep in touch? Do you hook up these people on Facebook and things like that?
1: He's not on Facebook, actually. Oh. He's, uh, you might know him. He's, he's called Ross Greer. If he's not on Facebook, he's dead to me. <laughs> <laughs> me too uh, we have emailed back and forth a little bit but, um, I haven't seen him
0: but this reminds me of the old days when you used to you know you used to send postcards you used to write yeah. to people I've missed that in many ways I like the connectivity that social media gives us but I do miss those old days I as still well. send postcards can cause... I get on your postcard list yeah oh, definitely. Oh, definitely
1: I'll send you one from Canada I'm off to Canada in three weeks
0: well that was going to be my next yeah. next question is this for a book tour or to write an, uh, for inspiration
1: research this is for research yeah For book number what will be seven so are you just thinking well I'd like to go to Canada I know I'll write a book about it Canada was on my list I was I had a short list of four where I was going to set the book and I had two ideas that would have worked in either so I did a vote on my author Facebook and I let my readers decide and Canada came so far in front it was just astonishing how many people were like you have to go there and I've been to Canada once I've been to Toronto and did a bit of Niagara and I really really loved Canada it's It's beautiful and it's clean and it's friendly and and it's less in your face than America. I always wanted to go back. So this is a perfect excuse. And where else have you got on your list? Hawaii is up there. I'd like to go to Croatia. I've never been to Scotland which is ridiculous <laughs> so it's well, Scotland I love is on the list I love shift. but
0: I've only been to Edinburgh and Glasgow and I said this the other day when I had I've had quite a lot of Scottish people on but I haven't been to Highlands. I haven't been to those beautiful places in Scotland so I'm do you know, I have crossed the border and been to a couple <laughs> of cities but I'm sort of with you there I've traveled the world but you often can. you do that though don't you I mean where's yeah. your book about
1: Cornwall or Brighton yeah, exactly. or But you've moved to Suffolk now yes and actually my my character in 1000 stars and you is from Suffolk too She's living in the same place that I'm living, just because it's easy, I think, to write about a place that you know. And before, all my other books are London-based, so I wanted to shift a little bit. And actually, it suited her as a character, because Alice, who's my character in the book, has this sort of small life and is very quiet. Her life's very quiet. So that's why Sri Lanka is such a great opposing place, because it's so chaotic and and loud and colourful and Full of adventure and excitement at every turn, and that's what she needed. Whereas the book that I'm writing at the moment, my character has a crazy, hectic, chaotic life and needs the space and the time and the peace of New Zealand. So it works in opposing ways.
0: May I suggest Fiji? Have you been to Fiji? I haven't been to Fiji. My no. dad's from Fiji. I've been a few times, and I've got lots of family there that you mm. can
1: stay with as if oh, you need amazing. to a uh, crash. I would someone. love to. I'll just offer though. Fiji, I'm, alli- I'm always up for the the, the beach and the. Done.
0: Well, the Fiji <laughs> has that, but also it has a lot of poverty and, and struggles. And mm. it used to be 50% of the population were Indian as a product of indentured labour. Mm. So there was a lot of inequality and a lot of infighting between the Fijians and the Indians. And that is sort of calming down a bit now, but there was a, there has been quite a lot of unrest because oh, of that. So gosh. it's not this beautiful, it is this beautiful collection of tropical white sand and turquoise seas, but it's also got a lot more to it than that a bit like Sri Lanka yeah but a lot smaller of course one of your novels
1: was also based in beautiful Lake Como in Italy tell me about that Lake Como is quite a random choice actually I don't think it's the first place people think of when when you say the word Italy people always go Rome, Milan, Venice and I wanted to do somewhere a little bit different and I'd been to Lake Como very briefly years before for a wedding I was dating who happened to be the best man and he took me as his guest and it was a really small intimate wedding it was quite weird being there as a sort of you know the only person that didn't know anyone but they were very nice people and they were very welcoming luckily and I was just bowled over by Como I mean I don't think you can't be it's so stunning. George Clooney lives there, doesn't he? He does, yeah. George and Amal have a place there. Casual. Yeah, at the playground of the rich, isn't it? But it's also... The thing I like about Como is that it has... In the same way that Greece, the Greek islands differ from athens or the mainland como has that sort of island feel to it everybody's much more relaxed you fly into milan to get there and then come out and milan is absolutely insane and very pushy and like london on steroids and then you get to como and it's all like everybody's just sitting and having coffee walking their dogs around it's very relaxed it's beautiful and i hadn't i'd been there in the height of summer when it's really really busy But when I went back to research, I went for between Christmas and New Year. I was there for New Year's Eve and it was a different world. It was you could really walk around and really enjoy just being in the space and taking pictures and it was beautiful sunshine every day but cold but beautiful sunshine. The lake is just stunning. Tell me about the book that you wrote. It's about two girls Lucy and Taggy. Taggy has fled to Lake Como because something bad has happened in her life and she spent time there as, as a child and her parents friend still lives there so she goes to stay with her gets a job in a hotel and then we have Lucy who's going on her first holiday with her new boyfriend brand new relationship and she has links to Kobo too so they go off there on a treat and their lives again come together in an unexpected way basically I wanted to write a book about somebody at the beginning of relationship and somebody at the end and how different the viewpoint is because when you break up with somebody as as a woman if you break up with a man who's done something bad to you it's always like you know, he's an arsehole. And there's this very one-sided narrative that you put out to all your friends and your family. But there is always another side to the coin. There's always what happened on his side and his version of the story. And I wanted to sort of explore that. So that's the thing that links them, is the same man. Lucy is obviously madly in love with this guy, uh, whereas Taggy wants to tear his head off.
0: We know where you're going in the future. And I certainly look forward to reading. I think I might just start reading your back catalogue of books and your... (laughs) newest book now and the one that's coming out next year because they sound brilliant and I'm so glad you've told me what the genre of books that I love is it's escapism
1: literature are we calling it escapist fiction
0: escapist fiction you've told me that this is the genre of books that I really adore reading you know my holiday reads and it's escapist fiction so thank you very much for writing that my last question is always about music Mm -hmm. because to me music goes hand in hand with traveling like reading goes hand in hand with traveling if you had to choose one song that reminded you of a memorable moment of
1: travel what song would that be and why oh gosh what question when i was in new zealand i was listening to ben howards not his most recent album but the one before all the small things and I travelled most of um, New Zealand on buses and coaches and that's really how most people get around and while I did listen to audiobooks I listened to a lot of Ben Howard and especially all the small things and it's impossible now for me to if I hear that if I listen to that album and I do put it on when I'm writing I can see what I'm seeing through the window of of the bus and it makes me feel the same way that I felt when I was there it makes I don't know it just I was so happy there it's really hard to explain I cried my eyes out when I left New Zealand because I knew I was leaving behind this feeling that I wouldn't be able to get when I got home. Um, But I can get sort of halfway there listening to Ben Howard's album. So, yeah, I think it will always mean a lot to me. It will always be very evocative. And it's the right sort of music as well. It's beautiful lyrics and the sort of music that makes you think. It's not just a noise in your ears. It's not just distraction. It actually gets into your heart. (laughs) Lovely, thank you very much thank you
0: so much for coming on the Big Travel Podcast and I look forward to reading your books Thank you Thank you so much Isabel and thank you so much for listening, next week we have Britain's Got Talent favourite Malawian comedian Daliso Shaponda See you then